0: So the the date today's date, October twenty second. You may understand, or may not. You <laughs> Will you be disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> Am I disappointed that you don't know? No. Um, so I, I just I, I want to give you kind of a contextual background as to the importance and significance of this date for us as Seventh-day and if and if because this has helped us shape who we are this day is famous if not infamous in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church as a matter of fact I would venture to say that it's a turning point within our church so we have to go back to Daniel chapter 8 verse 14 and there it states that in 2300 days the sanctuary shall be cleansed now to make a long story short i just want this bullet point version nutshell version there was a man by the name of william miller that he became obsessed he wasn't adventism did not exist in 18 in the 1830s and 40s this was during a time in American history where we call it the Great Awakening. This is the time where the Civil War is taking place. This is the time where people are starting to turn into the, the Word of God, into the Bible, and study, and, that's, and they become more and more knowledgeable about what the Bible says. This is why it's entitled the Great Awakening Era in American history. And so this man by the name of William Miller begins to, and he, and he lived outside, up in, in the Northeast, in, in, in New York, really close to the New Hampshire, excuse me, Vermont border. And he became so caught up with the book of Daniel that he started to study it. And he came upon this text and he became curious, almost obsessed with it, and began to study it. And so today we owe a lot of our understanding of biblical prophecy because of what he started. We'll get to that at some point here next year, I promise you that. I I will do a series on the book of Daniel and Revelation, but that's next year. But he came to the conclusion that Jesus was going to come back on October 22nd, 1943. Excuse me, 1843. Thank you. October 22nd, 1843 came and then he realized that he didn't factor in for year zero. And he went back And he said, no, Jesus is coming back on October 22nd, 1844. Now, you have to understand, if you're not from the Northeast, if you're Floridians, or if you you don't come from a place where you have the actual four seasons of the year, this is not cold. (laughs) This is not cold. Though I did bring out my... My hoodie. I think I'm getting clim- climatized a little bit. So October is towards the end of harvesting season. October is a month that in the day, in, as the month begins in October, it's pretty warm. And warm, I mean a cool 55 to 65 degrees. And then at night, it drops down to 40s, low 40s, high 30s towards the end of the month. So the end right there in the middle it's really cool right and these farmers who heard who heard the millerite message they believed it with all their heart that they left their potatoes in the ground and did not harvest it and so they gathered together on the 22nd And they went to this place called Ascension Rock. And as they went to this place called Ascension Rock, they waited, and waited, and waited, and waited. And sunset came, and Jesus had not returned. And they waited, and waited. And midnight happened and Jesus did not come. I want to read to you a statement that one of the founding fathers of the Adventist faith, somebody who had a great influence, and I won't get into it, but I want you to read, I I want to read to you what he said. And this is as a result of Being disappointed that Jesus had not come. It says, our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. And such a spirit of weeping came over us as I never experienced before. It seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have been no comparison. We wept and wept till the dawn of day. What drives somebody to cry all night with the expectation of the return of Jesus and having been disappointed? What drives somebody to that point where they are so deeply moved that the, their interpretation of Scripture was so profound that when it didn't turn out how they expected, they wept all night. When was the last time you cried over a verse you did not understand? I mean, cried. I won't even ask you how long. But these people, they were so focused. I mean, they left all of their livelihood behind. They left everything that they should have done up until that point waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Well, I'd like to take this disappointment and invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the third message of the series entitled, Don't Be Ignorant. No, I could go into the direction of understanding prophetic interpretation, but that's not the point of this series. The series is entitled, Don't Be Ignorant, in relationship to the ministry gifts of the Spirit. The the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. But you're saying if you're you're a well-versed Bible student, you're saying, well, Pastor Art, chapter 13 is the love chapter. What does that have to do with the gifts of the Spirit? Well, see, you you and I have to realize and come to that place that when the Bible was written and when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it with chapters and subtitles and verses. It was a long letter. And so there was no chapter division. But if you, we are looking at this, the context of chapter 13 is the result of chapter 12. You cannot sit, divorce the two from each other. They go hand in hand. Okay? So you, the, the consequence of chapter 12 is chapter 13, not because it's in chronological order, because that's the the way that the numbers fall, but because the context of chapter 12, which is the, the diversity of gifts, is chapter 13. And how do I know that? Let's look at our last verse of chapter 12. And it says, I'm going to read from a different version today. Normally, I go to my default, the New King James Version, but today I'm going to read from the the Message Remix Bible. So it's slightly different. And it says, but it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic, undimensional part? It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep compelling for so-called important parts. Hmm, mercy. To think that somebody is of more value than somebody else. But here's the key transitional verse. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you okay so if you if you have a a different translation it says and now i'm going i i will show you a better way okay and so that is the connecting verse from chapter 12 to chapter 13 And so when we read chapter 13, we come to the understanding that the love chapter is, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Some of you have the clanging of cymbals, right? We happen to have cymbals here. I'm going to have mercy. Mercy. If I'm speaking and I have no love, what benefit is that? But if I have love and you're hearing my voice and understanding that I'm coming from a place of voice, whatever that I'm speaking is going to have a subtle impact in your life. So, Let's continue. But who loves a who loves a creaky the creaking of a rusty gate? Nobody. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing, nada, zip, zilch, zero. If I give everything I own to the poor, even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I have gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. But here's the key text, and this is the text that Danielle read this morning. But in the the, the Message Bible, it says, Love never gives up. Love cares more than others than for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of sins of others, doesn't reveal when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. But of all of these, The greatest one is love. In other words, when we come to the end of the conclusion of chapter 13, verse 13. It's not three, it's 13. 13, 13. The greatest of these is love. Paul is now going back and and summarizing the entire 12th and 13th chapter and saying that You can do all these things. You can have all of these gifts. But if you do not love, you're nothing. This This is the best gift. Or I should say, this is the result. Right? This is the result. You see, when we look at this, looking back, when Paul says, desire the best gifts, and now he's talking about chapter 12, you, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong if, if you have a certain gift and you see that the gift that you really want in somebody else. There's nothing wrong with desiring that gift. Because Paul says, earnestly desire, come on, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. This is the conclusion. So he's saying, go ahead, desire a a gift that you want. But the way to that gift is through the practice of love, which he then outlines In Chapter Thirteen, there is a something interesting about this. Matthew Clark, in his commentary, he 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 reads, we read this statement from this chapter. It says, "I am nothing, nothing in myself, nothing in the sight of God, nothing." misspelling, in the church and good for nothing to mankind. See, because a lot of times when we, when we talk about love, there's always that, that one individual. If I can get on a soapbox. There's always that one individual that will say, surely there is more than love, that God expects. In other words, they're saying love isn't, love isn't the cure-all for all. Love isn't the one who you know, is going to fix everything. God requires us to be pure. God requires us to be obedient, which I would venture to report back, but isn't the result of love obedience? Isn't the result of having love fulfilling your gifts and your calling? Because if you have not love, then you're just clanging on the symbol, telling the world that hey, you need to change, but I don't have to. That's what it sounds like. So yes. And you know the hardest the hardest thing for somebody who has grown up in an environment where you have to do things in order to be considered worthy of is that they never experienced love the way that God designed it. Because love isn't about me. Go, let, let's go back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. How many times do you see the word me in, that, in those verses? How many times do you see it's the benefit to myself in those verses? How many times do you see that love will make me a better person? Love is not about me. Love is about you. My relationship with you. Not about me. You see, I remember it's easy to fall in love. Right? I remember looking at a specific individual and say, oh man, I'd love to date her. And you can go back, and, you, and for those of you that are married or have been married, you can easily put yourself in that same position and say, man, when I saw my husband for the first time, or I saw my wife for the first time, man, I, 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 and you get that warm fuzzies just remembering, you know, thinking about the time when you actually saw them, and you're like, whoa. But staying in love is a different issue altogether, isn't it? That's why, and we, went, and we went through the book of the seven churches in the church of Revelation, God said, you have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten how to stay in love with me. That's why love is hard. That's why staying in love is difficult. Because when we look for somebody, when, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want this person to be this way. I want, I want them to look this way. I want them to act this way because that's the way I want things to be. Right? We expect to find in that second person, and we say that because we're looking for somebody to complete ourselves. We're looking for that person to be Fulfilling of our needs, our desires, our expectations. But in reality, that's infatuation. That's not love. True love is about serving and service. So we're not looking, the way that the Bible has just described and we have just read it, is that the true love and true service is about me making you the better person. It's about me making my spouse a better spouse. And as a return of making her better or him better, I make myself better. That's the consequence of things. That's the consequence of love. That's what Paul talks about. That's why it's hard to stay on track. When we read stuff like, Love endures our long-suffering in some versions. In, 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 the, in the New King James, says, suffers long. Who wants to suffer long? I shared with you my mother-in-law is going through chemo. She does not like to withstand pain at all and when we tell her said you have to go through this it's frustrating for her and when you're in a relationship with somebody else and you're going through a difficult time going through that bridge of challenging circumstances you suffer long And sometimes you ask yourself, how long is this going to last? There is no ending, according to scripture. Love that is true love, the agape love, unselfish love, not self-serving love. Step by step, you're with each other all along the process. So given the fact that we have just looked at this description of what love really is. I want you to turn to your tables. We're going to give you about five, uh, seven and a half minutes. What is the motive behind their actions in Matthew 25, 31 through 47? And why does it matter? So I want you to turn to your, 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 your tables, open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46. And why, what motive? What is the motive behind their actions? And why does it matter? Go. <laughs> All right, it's time to start white winding down a little bit. So I don't have the mics, but just yell out for me. What, what's your takeaway? Why does the motive behind their actions matter? What happened? Jesus came, right, or the Son of, excuse me, the Son of Man came and, and what happened? How many groups of people were there? Two. How many did did both groups of people do the right thing? Yes. Yes, they did. How many had their hearts in the right place? 1. Remember, going back to the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I may be able to speak in tongues and and be interpreter and be miracles, but have I not love? In this instance, the love is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these individuals, oh Lord, we healed in your name. We prophesied in your name. Aren't they doing the right thing? But they had not had a loving relationship with their creator. It's almost like coming to church for the sake of being Saturday. Just saying. Why do we come to church on Saturday? Oh, because that's what we do as Seventh-day Adventists. Is it? Why do we do what we do is it is it because of love or is it because I want to make sure that I I get my church on or I I I get to check this list off uh, off my list or get to check this item off my list that's what these two groups are illustrating when you don't have the right relationship with Jesus you can do great things And this is where I have one of my pet peeves is, oh, I'm a good person. Are you really? You can do good acts. Anybody can do good acts. But if your heart is not in a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, it becomes difficult for you to actually fulfill his purpose. So again, the motive. What was the motive behind Those that were counted as sheep. Didn't they ask a question? Lord, when did we do this? Oh, because you weren't looking for a reward. You saw somebody because your love for me is reflected in your actions towards them. This is where love comes in. You see, let me go back. Love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Let me go back and read it again. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head, nor it, it forces itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Oh my goodness! I I, I should highlight this one, and give it to my no. I wish so and so were the you know we're here to listen to this sermon. That is not love. <laughs> love. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. You always do this. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Going back to the illustration, there's no better part we're all parts of one body takes pleasure in the flowering of truth puts up with anything oh my goodness really do i really need to do that trust god always always looks for the best Never looks back. Man, I remember when you did this. But keeps going to what? The end. You know what the end is? The end is death. It will keep going to the end. Or the second coming. Whichever one comes first. A lot of this gets applied to relationships. A lot of this gets, gets placed into relationships. And that's why I wanted to highlight this text. Here's a question I want to ask you we're going to we're not going to do round tables. I just want to ask you with this question. And we're going to leave with this. So, if love is the best way, why is it so hard to leave it cons- to to leave it, to live it? Not leave it, live it consistently. How has my upbringing helped me or hindered me? In living out, my goodness. I need to proofread my text before I put them out. All right. If love is the best way, why is it so hard to live it? Because it is hard. Love is hard. It's not impossible. I was talking to I was at my base in Massachusetts, and I walked in into a scene, a scenario. Excuse me, that is why we function as chaplains. See, somebody, nobody ever calls a chaplain to share good news. Ever. It's never about, hey, chaplain, you're doing such a great job. Thank you for what you've done. It's always, hey, chaplain, uh, uh, we need you at at the security offices uh, right now. Um, Okay, be right there. Or chaplain, uh, we need you to be going with so-and-so to do a death notification to the next of kin. Or chaplain, can you go and talk to somebody? He's suicidal. But it's always been, it's never good news. And so when the chaplain walks in, there's always a, what's he going to do? Why is he here? And so I walked in into the security, uh, safety offices, security office of the base. And there was a gentleman who was uh, going to have some disciplinary measures taken against him for some things that he sh- he did that he shouldn't have done. And so we started I started to talk and there was another there were two officers and a non-commissioned officer. A non-commissioned officer is somebody who isn't enlisted but is a, is is of a higher rank. And so we started talking about because this I got the call at 5:30 a.m. And they said, can you come to the security office? And I said, sure. And so they were like, hey, sorry, chap. You know, to bring, take you away from your family. It's such an early morning. I'm like, no, it's all good. My family <laughs> understands. And we got on the topic of marriage. And I asked the another captain, and, and uh, you know, Hey, I noticed your, your is that your last name? I think it got on the, the subject of last name. She mentioned that that wasn't her name uh, because she, I forget what it was. And I said, you're having a difficult time in your marriage, are you? And she said, yes, I'm getting a divorce and I can't wait. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And, it, and, it, and the response I got was, I'm not. And I said, marriage is hard, but it's not impossible. Marriage is hard, but it's not impossible. Where she was, she disagreed with me. And some of you may be at a point in time where you say, yeah, pastor, I'm getting to that point where I'm almost siding with that captain. Marriage is impossible. But I want to assure you, it is possible. It's hard. Sometimes you have to suffer long. I'm not accounting for elements that are medical that would need a separation. I'm not going to get into that. But if you find yourself in a place where it's difficult because loving the other individual is hard because you have fallen out of love then you can fall back in if god is telling a church that you have fallen you have forgotten your first love well there's a remedy for that we looked at that you you can restore your marriage but it's hard but don't give up. See, our upbringing has a direct influence on how we love today. And so we have to take a step back and analyze, do I know what true love really looks like? Do I know what I really want out of this relationship? Or am I in it now because I am self-serving? The same is applied to our relationship with God. Am I in it because I expect him to make me a better person or do I just love him just because? You see, it's that latter uh, statement that puts us in the category of those who Jesus called to heaven. It's, it's those that are in that latter category that are able to weep all night because they're disappointed with Jesus not coming. I shared the story, I think, once, but I will share it again. I was at Camp I was already, I had already graduated college, I was there as a staff member for summer camp, and I dreamed of Jesus coming. I dreamed that the heavens opened up and I saw Jesus. I can't remember what he looks like. Don't ask me, but I saw people rising to meet him. And I'm looking and I'm waiting. And it's like, Lord, when are you calling me? And I'm getting anxious and antsy and nervous. And I start thinking to myself, Lord, have I been one of those who have done things in your name, but do not have a relationship with you? In my dream, I saw him look at me and nod his head, and I start to rise. Let me preface this by stating that this by no means is a guarantee that I am saved. But then I woke up, and it was dark. The lights that I saw that coming through my window, what I thought was really happening, it was just, it was one of those seamless transitions from I go to bed, close my eyes, and and, and it's almost as if life continued from that scenario where light comes in through the window cracks, uh, uh, through the curtains, and I get out of bed, and I go outside, and I'm standing by the lake, and in front of Goose Poop Island and looking up and then all of a sudden through all that anxiety I, I start to rise and, and as I'm starting to rise and I'm looking at Jesus I open my eyes and it's dark. It was a darkness I've never felt before because I wasn't close to Jesus as I was in that dream. For the first time in my life, I was disappointed that Jesus had not come. Because up until that point, I was always scared of being on the wrong side. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, and by the way, I'm not saying this because I have a perfect relationship with God. God knows that I fall short. When you aspire to love like this and you do everything you can to be in these shoes that's when you count yourself and you understand that love suffers long i pray that as you look at your life and you look at how you love I pray that you mirror that of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Because that is how your gifts will be best used because of love. May God bless you.